0: Hello everyone again and welcome to ODC Ministries Podcast, Conversations with Pastor ODC. We're so happy to have you as a part of our listening audience and we thank you for taking a moment out of your day to listen to our episodes. We pray that each episode has been a blessing to you and your spiritual walk with the Lord. You can find our podcast on all major podcast platforms including Spotify, Apple Podcasts and CastBox. You can also follow us on Facebook at ODC Ministries, YouTube at ODC TV, or our webpage at www.pastorodc.com. Today I want to spend some time talking about the importance of balance in our music in the church. Many times in the church, people are often entertained more than they are edified by the music. Many times people believe that the music can be a source of entertainment in the Word um, used for edification. But the proper perspective is to see music and the Word working together to help upbuild the church, to help build the saints, so that your Sunday morning worship experience is not just enriching to you from a spiritual perspective, but it also touches every aspect of your life and it informs your head It touches your heart and it motivates you to do something with your hands for the Lord. I've been in several conversations with several people and I'm concerned that we are literally one generation away from a generation who does not know Amazing Grace. And I'm not talking about verses 2 and 3. I'm talking about just verse 1. And so today, to have this conversation with us about balanced perspectives in music and how the music ministry can encompass hymns as well as spirituals and the contemporary flavor as well. I have Reverend Colin Lett. Uh, Reverend Lett, if you would please introduce yourself to our audience. Hello, my name is Colin Lett, a member of Tabernacle Baptist Church
1: here in Selma, Alabama, where Reverend Otis Dion Culver is my pastor. I uh, received my music training at Morgan State University, where I majored in voice and choral conducting. And uh, as a student at Morgan, I was published at the GIA Publishing Company in Chicago through the African American Church Music Series with four songs. And uh, just recently, through Walton Music Press with two songs, I am um, an arranger of Negro spirituals and hymns, and I write anthems and the like. And it's just a joy to be a musician that understands the balance between theology and music.
0: Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you would just... Tell us a little bit more about your training, because I know you went to Morgan for vocal in your undergrad, but you furthered that education in the master's program as well.
1: Right. I went to Morgan State University to be in the choir of Dr. Nathan Carter, who was a a native of Selma, Alabama, and a world-renowned conductor. He was an arranger of hymns and anthems. He took that choir all over the world, and I just wanted to be a part of that experience So I went to Morgan and I tried to learn as much as I could with the years that I had with him. And really just patterned a lot of things that I do after what I saw him do um, as a role model. I was a voice major at the time when he was living. Then when I went back for my master's, I decided to take up choral conducting because that was more of my joy. I really Mm -hmm. enjoyed the conducting even more so than I enjoyed singing myself. Through that time, I was able to come back home to Selma, Alabama and be the choir director at Selma High School.
0: Great, great. You talked about this whole idea of merging music and theology together, and your resume kind of reflects that merger, which you have in the vocal training on the undergraduate, as well as the core conducting and your Master of Arts. But then when the Lord called you into the gospel ministry to preach the gospel, you went back to seminary. And Right. It might not have been my choice,
1: <laughs> but my father, um, as soon as I told him that I was called to preach, He told me to quit my job and find a seminary. (laughs) So I want to thank the Samuel DeWitt Proctor School of Theology for taking me in, almost really at a moment's notice. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the things that I had to wrestle with was God calling me to the ministry from music. Mm -hmm. But what they ultimately uh, helped me realize is the answer to that question was no. God was trying to enhance what he already gave me.
0: Yeah.
1: So... Even after I came out of seminary with how they taught, you know, taught me how to think and interpret text at Virginia Union, uh, theologically, that changed the way I interpreted text musically. Yeah. So yeah. it helped me understand much better the theology of the hymns, the theology of the anthems, mm-hmm. the theology of Negro spirituals, and even um, just the way to interpret uh, some of the modern music that we hear on the radio nowadays
0: yes because you know we talk about theology of hymns and anthems and negro spirituals and then you have some songs today that are completely empty of theology right and then you have others that have theological grounding but you just sometimes need the right theological lens to be able to understand how it merges with the theology of the scripture to help edify the church as well
1: Right, I've talked to several people, mentors, musical uh, mentors, and they would describe them as just musical candy. Mm. It's good to your ears, it's good to your taste, but it's not really substantive.
0: No doubt. And uh, we
1: find that a lot in church, whether uh, we like to admit it or not, that some songs are candy for us spiritually. They tickle our ears, but they are not those songs theologically that we can really say are very scripturally based And things that can really help us in a hard time
0: Exactly And you know I tell ministers of music Whenever I talk to them That it's wrong for me to preach heresy That it's equally as wrong for you to teach the choir And lead the church in singing heresy Um, Everything that we do ought to be Theologically sound And biblically founded For the glory of God And whether we like it or not
1: A lot of people Get some of their personal Systematic theology from the words that they hear in songs no doubt i mean some people quote hymns like scripture they quote them they, more than they quote scripture. right <laughs> you know you people will go around you can't beat god's given, yeah or you know what a friend we have in jesus you know and they're quoting these hymns right next to the actual scripture that's in the bible mm-hmm. so it's very important for us and it is it's a really um it's a heavy mantle that we have to carry as musical theologians Mm. is what we have to be Mm -hmm. because we're really helping our people have their own personal theology that helps them get through the week and help
0: them get through their days, whether we like it or not. So, you know, as we talk about this whole theology of music and how important it is for music to have solid theological foundations so that people can get through difficult moments in their lives. One thing that is concerning me, even as a senior pastor is More and more churches seem to be leaving the hymn book completely. You go to a church and the entire worship service is praise and worship, contemporary songs. And I have no problem with that. I love praise and worship. I love contemporary songs. But I always try to include some hymn or two within a worship service because the theology of the hymn is so rich. But as we are seeing this migration from the hymn book to more contemporary-only music, I believe that we're losing something. And many of our future generations, of even sometimes present generation, does not have that theological foundation that we have from our hymns. So let me ask you a question simple as this. Hymns, love it or leave them? What should the church do?
1: The church should love it. Mm. Um, hymns are a long part of the church's musical offering Mm -hmm. Um, those are those songs that have been with us for hundreds of years Um, And now the thing about hymns is as time has progressed forward the style of hymns have changed Mm. there are some songs now that that we might sing today that are hundreds of years old and some of them that may we may have only had within the last hundred years or so mm-hmm. um and i like to think about hymns even in different genres because in the black church whether we know it or not we celebrate black hymnody a lot more so than we celebrate just hymns in general mm-hmm. whereas uh we we would sing blessed assurance by fanny crosby or mm-hmm. uh, we sing the hymns of uh, charles albert tenley or well, we sing Precious Lord by Thomas Dorsey. Mm-hmm. So we, we have our own brand of black hymnody that is near and dear to our hearts. But if you go to another context, it might be a total different offering of hymns wow. that would be in their uh, top playlist, so to speak, mm-hmm. that would be totally foreign to us. Um, so, I, But I think the theology and, and things of the, the hymn, the style, is one of the things that really keeps people away from hymns, because mm-hmm. they think of hymns as just that old music. Yeah. But if we bring the, the integrity to the hymns, if we bring spirit to the hymns, mm-hmm. they can be just as relevant and just as powerful as they have ever been. And um, I like to see composers and arrangers do a new take on hymns. Yeah. Um, in particular, I'm thinking of one um, who just uh, released an album, uh, Anthony Brown. He did a take on sweet hour of prayer mm-hmm. that was just so new and fresh and it's in the gospel it's style project but it's it a hymn you know so hymns can be new and fresh if musicians take the time mm-hmm. just like with any other text um, especially if it's public domain you don't have to send anybody royalties for you know, using that material it's great material that can be familiar to the ears of your older listeners Mm -hmm. And it can be edifying to your your younger listeners.
0: Oh, yeah, that's good. Because I think that's part of what you hear a lot of times about younger parishioners kind of complaining about the way the hymn is sung. They can't even hear the words because of how the hymn is being drugged. Um, That kind of makes them say, why are we singing this? So sometimes, like you said, maybe our presentation and the style of how we present the hymn needs to be changed and adopted without... Interfere with the integrity of that hymn.
1: Right. And one of the things, I just left Tennessee State University talking to uh, Mr. Will Cram, who is a great musician uh, in his own right. And he was telling me something about hymns, just kind of in casual conversation, is that, yes, hymns are strophic, meaning that, you you know, typically in a hymn book, you'll see the same music with maybe up to about four or however many hymn you know, verses mm-hmm. were written for that hymn it'll be the same music but if the musician has the task of making sure that that strophic hymn mm-hmm. is really through composed in the sense that each of those verses should be interpreted a little bit differently mm-hmm. why because they have different text mm-hmm. and you don't and you don't interpret the the text of one just like you would interpret the next one because they have a, a different message mm-hmm. and a lot of times hymns will tell a story and each verse adds own to that story and uh, moves you to that next part so musically we have to do the same thing as well mm-hmm. where the first verse you might just have everybody singing the melody mm-hmm. then the second verse you might add some harmony then the third verse you might have a soloist uh, sing on top and then the fourth verse it might just be a soprano descant on top uh, or you might just modulate up you know the key so it's a lot of different things musically that we can do that can make the hymns really uh really shine
0: yeah uh, and I like what you said about this whole story that the hymns tell. My preaching professor at Beeson Defender School um, said something to us in class that blew my mind because I was one of those people who was like, why are we singing all four verses? You know, I'm like, let's just say verse one and two, hit the chorus a couple of times and move on with the program. But he changed my entire perspective about that because he was talking about how all the hymns tell a story that ultimately leads you to the Estaton leads you to this whole hope of in the future of being in heaven, like for instance, Amazing Grace, when we've been there okay. 10,000 years, you know, bright, shining right. as the sun. You know, all these hymns are leading us to glory, right? Um, leading us to this whole idea of Christ coming. One of my favorite hymns is On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand, and you know, the whole. When he shall come with trumpet sound. Oh, may I then in him be found. You know, it's like this whole storytelling of the hymn. And so now here at Tabernacle, we sing all four verses. And it's because I just didn't recognize what the hymn was doing until I was in my master's studies in seminary in preaching class. And my professor used the whole emphasis upon hymns telling stories to say that when we preach. Our sermons ought to be taking people somewhere and leaving them with the hope of glory, not just the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, but ultimately the fact that he will return. And I just like, it was amazing to just see, man, the hymns really are telling a rich theological story. So we can't just say verses one and two. Right. But I think
1: there's a delicate balance there Mm -hmm. where there might be a lot of young people in this upcoming generation that are a lot like how you felt before you got to your no doubt <laughs> to that seminary, where they don't want to hear the story because of how we're telling it. Mm, that's good. So that's good. we have to be able to tell the story in a powerful way that's transformative, that's inspiring, that's motivating, that mm-hmm. can reach them. You know, we can't tell the story in a you know in a drabby way mm-hmm. and expect these young people to be interested. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to we have to meet them. You know in the style that they like it. I'll say this analogy It's like you can all eat hamburgers. Mm-hmm. But you might like your hamburger with some barbecue sauce or you know some onions mm-hmm. or some other toppings and somebody else might like something totally different. Mm-hmm. So hymns can be that same way. You it's can take a hamburger. you can take the same hymn and it might just be a, and you know for one generation they might want to hear the bass guitar and they might want to hear the drums with mm-hmm. it and the older generation might just want to hear that pipe organ. And the, and the piano, and just stick with that.
0: And, you know, just to, to use that analogy, because I like it, because you like, like you said, a hamburger isn't hamburger, but you can add different toppings that allows it to match your, your taste. Your taste. Your taste. Um, so talk to the musician, because as you said, that the composer at Tennessee State shared with you this weekend, that it is the musician's job to add the right toppings. That's right. You know to, to to make sure that I think you used the word composed,
1: yeah, like through composed.
0: Yeah, through composed. So talk to the musician who may be listening to this about how can they add the right topics to make sure that the hymn is through composed um, for us.
1: I think um, the musician has to, in a sense, become much like the theologian. Mm-hmm. In that you have to study the text that you're preaching. You have to mm. be an interpreter of the text. First, mm. that comes before interpreting the musical notes, the mm. notation. We have to understand all of the verses of Amazing Grace mm-hmm. in order for us to effectively minister those. Mm-hmm. We have to understand the verses, the story that we're talking about, that the hymns tell. Well, you
0: mean to tell me that to be able to get me into some music, I need to be able to do more than just play an instrument. You, if you're <laughs> going to be a minister, thank you. Period.
1: Mm-hmm. You have to understand text. And especially biblical text, because mm-hmm. it's all rooted, it's supposed to be rooted mm-hmm. out of the biblical narrative. So you have to understand how how the hymn tells the gospel story. you Have to understand how you know the music that you hear, how it paints the text that you see. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, as the, the musician, the performer, the you know the interpreter, you have to understand how then can I render this in a way that will fit my context. Mm. Because you can you can do it one one way at Tabernacle here in Selma with the Black Church, but then have to do it a totally different way down the street with our counterparts. Exactly. And also understanding too that the hymn should grow. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's similar to preaching. You, you know, you don't come out uh, hooping mm-hmm. at the very beginning. You don't hoop the text that you're about to preach. You, <laughs> you yeah. don't, you calmly read it, and then you can work your way up to the hoop with that same crescendo, to use a musical term. Exactly. We can, we can do that, use that same crescendo when we are doing hymns or spirituals or anthems or gospel music. It, it has to, um, and one of the other things that we uh, talk about in music is theme and variation. Mm-hmm. So theme is melody. We just let the melody come out, and we expose that melody. And then as the song moves forward, we develop it and we can do variation and, and let it grow but you have to start out with a very simple message and then allow it to grow and i think that's a, an effective way to uh, tell that story now i think everything is contextual mm-hmm. so you know having the bass having the the drums with the hymns i think that's a, a very necessary thing in this generation yeah because that is uh, the sound that fits their taste. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we lose the the message and the meat of the the hymns when we make it appealing to our younger generation as far as the instrumentation and the style in which we sing.
0: It. Good deal. Good, good stuff. Let me just ask you this before I kind of flip over to another side of this. We talk about hymns and the importance of hymns in the church. Talk to the pastor and why it is important for the pastor to also develop an appreciation for hymns within the local church. Because I believe that sometimes instead of the pastor leading the church to understand why we need these hymns and why we may need to work on how we present the hymn and how we tell the story but we cannot leave the hymn, so many pastors are kinda like allowing the pews to tell them, We don't like that, we don't want to hear that anymore. And that is theologically sabotage to the health of the body. So what do you say to the pastor?
1: To the pastors, I would say the goal is not to please the people, mm-hmm. but the goal is to edify the people. Yeah. Now, um, I don't think the average church would have to have this large library of hymns. Mm-hmm. But if you took 30 hymns, mm-hmm. and that became the, the hymns that this church would do, You know, from from time to time throughout Mm -hmm. the various worship services. I think that could be a good number. And you take a few of the spirituals, but you mix that with, you know, some of the more contemporary music. And you can have a good healthy balance and a good healthy mix that can be edifying, that can be enjoyable. And you can find that you might be able to mix some of the style together Mm -hmm. that you might find in some of your contemporary gospel music. That you can mix with the hymns. So the pastor has to understand that that is important. But also, too, that the theology that the pastor is preaching can be bolstered and enhanced with the music in the church. Um, it's, It's very hard to get some of the messages across just simply by preaching. If nothing else in the worship uh, service is going to support that message. Because sometimes, yeah, sometimes the the preacher can be so eloquent and powerful that the message can come across through the sermon. But there are some people that leave the average church with that hymn playing back in their mind. Oh, Oh my God, I was struggling, but... It is well, Mm -hmm. it is well, it is well with my soul. Or whatever that, um, you know my name. Mm -hmm. You know, those messages that, through the songs that keep playing back and forth through your head, those music makes
0: um, a message stick to you. No doubt about it. You know, I know for myself that I could have preached a sermon. (laughs) And I'm leaving church thinking about some music that was played during worship. Even though I preached the sermon during the week, the song is sticking to me or itched in my memory better than sometimes the actual sermon was. So I, I really
1: think that is one of the things that highlights the importance of the relationship between the pastor and the minister of music.
0: Exactly.
1: Because the pastor is the the angel of the house, the visionary house, the messenger that God has sent for the house so the minister of music cannot be disconnected from the pastor mm-hmm. have, You have to have a working relationship But also a theological relationship Where you understand that the, the theology of the music mm-hmm. Must support the theology in the preaching yeah.
0: And so before we get out of here Let's just make sure everybody is clear about what we're saying We're not saying that we need to have all hymns No we're, we're trying to make the point that hymns are important. Love them. Don't leave them. Because if you leave them, you're losing something very precious to the tradition of the church and to the theology of the church. Uh, but just, again, let's just put a, a plug in for the need for balance.
1: Right. And I think as a culture, we have to understand that those hymns, those spirituals, those anthems they have been an important part of our culture. And even um, what might be old school gospel mm-hmm. or you know, traditional gospel, those are important parts of our culture that if we just go forward without all of that mm-hmm. and just leave it just a contemporary, we're just kind of leaving ourselves at the mercy of whatever somebody writes. Yes. Now, you know, So whatever we hear on the radio, that's what we go with. But we, we are too culturally rich to leave all of that behind. Where what we find really are a lot of people are through popular music they'll do samples or Mm -hmm. through some of the contemporary Christian they'll use uh, verses or lines or choruses from hymns and spirituals and the like into their new music. So it's a a lot of uh, great music that has been written in the past that we can stand on the shoulders of those giants Mm -hmm. and we don't have to come up with You know, just all new stuff, but we can reach back, put it in our new context and perform it in our new fresh ways that will match the style of this current age.
0: I mean, you're so right, because sometimes you be in church and the choir comes out with some old gospel music, gospel song that you haven't heard in the last 10 years. And it's like, wow, I haven't heard that in so long, but it's so satisfying to your spirit and it moves you very deeply um, because the the richness of the song and the theology of the song is so solid, that um, here it is ten fifteen years later, it still ministers to the souls of uh, future generations. Right, so. I'm thinking about some of those guys who um, may have died,
1: like James Cleveland. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of, he still you still hear his mu- music in the black church. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andre Crouch recently died. Uh, the yes. uh, uh, Edwin made, Hawkins, Walter yeah. Hawkins. Those you know, those guys are going on, but their music that they wrote years ago is still ministry. It outlives them. It outlives them, and I think that's what we have to remember. Um, Because even like if we talk about classical music. You know, people are still going to uh, music school to study Bach and Beethoven Mm -hmm. and Handel and all of those guys, and they've been dead all the time. So we can't just divorce ourselves from those great black gospel uh, writers, those great black hymn writers like Thomas Dorsey Mm -hmm. that we mentioned earlier, Charles Tenley and uh, Fanny Mm Crosby, and so many others. We can't just divorce ourselves from them just because they've gone on home and you know cheat ourselves of that you know, that broad
0: wealth of uh, musical knowledge that we already have.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And Reverend Lett, thank you, because this has been very rich. I mean, as we just talked about, we don't need to leave the hymns. Pastors, partner with your minister of music to make sure that your music is matching the theology that you're preaching. Um, I love the advice you gave to get about 30 hymns to say these are the this is the hymn of this church. These are the hymns that we sing as we go through worship on an annual basis. And people get to hear those hymns over and over again until they're able to know them without looking on the screen or without looking in the book. And so having that playlist of hymns that you can go to as a church and, and making sure that at the same time that you're not losing what's new and what has come before you, that your music is rich Balanced and edifying, not just simply entertaining. And we talked about
1: the um, importance from a pastor, talked about the importance of a musician, but now from the church's point of view, I think it's important that churches understand that to get your music, you know, musicians training, um, that won't be, you know, the cost won't be so astronomical. Mm -hmm. Um, Send your musicians to a workshop. Yeah. Yes. Um, there are, I mean, there are several. Actually, there are a lot of great music workshops. I know we always talk about the preaching workshop, you know, Sammy DeWitt Proctor mm-hmm. um, Conference, and um, Baby. you know, all a lot of those conferences have a ministerial side and a music side. Exactly. Like I'm, off the top of my head, I'm thinking about Hampton Ministers Conference. Mm-hmm. Um, that's always in June and the Gospel Music Workshop of America. Mm-hmm. But those are um, workshops where you know church musicians can go and get fed spiritually. They can see some of the new, fresh music, but they can also hear you know, some of the hymns and the spirituals and anthems that are in a very fresh way that they might not have been exposed to any other way.
0: Exactly, because there's certain things you'll get in the conference that you can't get on YouTube. Right. You, know, you can't just get in a conversation with your contemporaries. You need to get with someone who's skilled and trained to help enhance and develop and cultivate your gifts and the reality too, a lot of our um, ministers
1: of music and church musicians don't know how to read music mm-hmm. so when you go to these uh, music workshops you can hear them they'll present the sheet music mm-hmm. but they'll uh, they encourage you and allow you to record mm-hmm. what you know the the, the workshop the, pre- the presentation of the songs mm-hmm. so you don't have to all of a sudden have to you know, be able to read music, mm-hmm. but, you know, you, you start where you are and they'll kind of meet you where you are.
0: Exactly. Well, let me ask you this as you get ready to get out of here. Um, you've had some work that's been um, premiered here lately. Talk to us about the work that you've just premiered and, um, and then what some future plans you may have for your own ministry with the Selma High Choir and other things that you're working on.
1: Well, uh, I'll work backwards, I guess. Okay. Most recently, um, I was commissioned to write a an art song hmm. on a uh, poem by Tupac Shakur <laughs> uh-huh. uh, called "Starry Night," and <laughs> it was written for countertenor, violin, and cello, and piano accompaniment. And it was just performed at Tennessee State at the HT Burley Festival um, up in Nashville on the campus of Tennessee State University um, by Mr. Patrick Daly. I'm excited because that's gonna get me back into writing the art song, so I can mm-hmm. you know do. And I plan to uh, publish a. A collection of um, art song arrangements, which are uh, written—you know—those songs written for solo voice. Mm -hmm. Um, But now my comfort zone is writing choral music. And earlier this year, uh, two of my um, my Negro spirituals were uh, published uh, Uh as part of the Jason Max Ferdinand Choral Series at Walton Music. Um, And I Got a Song is, that's really my testimony. Mm -hmm. Um, And the the other spirituals, I stood on the River of Jordan. And I I actually got to hear Alcorn State University uh, perform both of those songs. Um, Just within this last week, there's a choir up in South Carolina that performed I Got a Song at the South Carolina um, American Choir Directors Association concert that was, um, you know, for their state and um, i'm expecting to hear miles college uh, sing i got a song later this month so it's really picking up steam and uh, i just thank god for it
0: that's a blessing man thank god for dorsey's opening and i know it's quite rewarding to sit into an audience and hear music that you have composed being performed by these college choirs under the direction of these amazing conductors who recognize the uniqueness and ingenuity of your gifts so man congratulations on that and uh, we look forward to hear more from you and um, hear more about that music being produced because uh, I believe that I got a song was a song that was a part of a Black History concert here. Right, um,
1: we premiered that song here at Tabernacle. Yeah. I think it. I forget which year. I think it might have been 2016 mm-hmm. at the um, the mass meeting that's held here every March. So
0: and it's a favorite of mine. I'm not gonna sing it because uh, <laughs> I don't want anybody to. Um, (laughs) trying to critique it based on my (laughs) inability to do it justice but um, I actually do love the song in fact I even said something Sunday morning in the sermon about we have a song the angels can't sing and that was kind of based on the whole idea of what that spiritual Talks about how we have been washed in the blood, and angels can't say that. That's right. And so I think that was just a, a beautiful piece. So, uh, man, we look forward to the compositions that you're going to be making, and we wish you well as you do what the Lord has called you to do, which is to merge this theology and music together to bless the church as well as the world of academia. And so we um, hope that your work here in Selma continues to flourish, and that the world gets to hear more and more from uh, Maestro. Um, as we call you around here, Colin Litt. So thank you again for joining us um, today. And to our audience, I want to say again, thank you for your support and for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast and share this with um, a friend. Share it with a pastor. Share it with a minister a music, a choir member, a worship team participant or a vocalist. So that we can all um, ensure that as we move forward into the future, and um, receive all that God has for us And all of the talent and the um, songs That are being birthed out of artists and composers today That we don't leave what God has passed down to us Through the hymns and the anthems and the spirituals um, Because we need a balance on that Because our, our goal is to edify, not to entertain And if you are entertained while you're being edified Then that's great The most important thing is for you to get a better understanding of who God is and what God has done and what God is calling you to do for him through the music that is sung as well as the word that is proclaimed. Until next time, thank you all for joining us. Have a blessed day.